commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall. Then said we unto them after this manner, What are the names of the men that make this building? But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius. And then when they returned, answer by letter concerning this matter. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for who you are this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy towards us. We thank you, Lord, for your beauty. We thank you, Lord, that even as we've read in the Psalms this morning, Lord, and and that's not something I designed to fit with this message, but, Lord, it speaks there about your eye upon the people. And, Lord, we do want to remember this morning that you are watching and you do see. And we thank you for that, Lord. And, Lord, we pray that this morning would be a blessing to each and every one of us. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to expand your word this morning carefully and clearly. And, Lord, that it would have the power and authority of the Lord behind it. And, Lord, I ask again that you would just use my uh, weakness and give me strength. And, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would have hearts and minds to hear what you have to say this morning. In your precious name, amen. So I'm sure it hasn't passed you by that we live in the age of technology. This is the new uh, age. We had the industrial revolution. Now we live in the really the technological revolution. You know, everything is going down that path. That's just the way things are. You know, things have changed from the way you do your shopping to the way we work. And, and, and that's the world. And the world, in terms of human thought and, and style, is always changing and always going on. And so it's a reality that our, that our kids are indeed, um, you know, used to the technology. And they use it a lot. They use it in their schools. They use it at home. So it's smartphones and it's, it's tablets and it's the internet and whatever it may be. And, you know, so my kids, you know, they use that stuff. And the thing is, but in my house, IT and technology was the area that I played my trade and at a quite high level. So it's my realm. It's my domain. Now, it's, it's rapidly changing, I must say. But in terms of what the kids are doing, it's my domain. And because of that, in our house, the Hayden and Addison, they both have a, a smartphone. And you know they both have their computers. Um, but I can see everything that they do. And at a flick of a button, I can shut down everything that they do. I can set a limit on how long they can be on a certain thing. I can restrict what they see on the internet. I can, um, and this is, this is one of the things I do, because this is the type of dad that I am. If I shout the kids and they don't answer me, and I'm downstairs and they're upstairs, and they don't come down, all I do is lift my phone, hit a button, and shut down their, their access. And down the stairs they come, right? And, and, you know, that's because I love them. You know, there, there's a tiny bit of me, it just takes pleasure in turning it off and on. But, but I love them, right? They're my children. I want to protect them. And I want to see what they're doing. And, and, you know, that's the reality. That's the fact behind what I do, what I do. And I had this argument with Addison the other day. You know, Dad, Dad, why, why do you set these limits? Why do you do this? And I said, because I love you. I want to protect you. Now... That's the reality of it. But their perspective of that might be slightly different. And, and as a child, their perspective can be, he's just trying to ruin my fun. He's just trying to uh, you know, let, let me do what everybody else does. 
and, and that can be their perspective. But the fact of the matter is that they have a father, whether they like it or not, loves them dearly. And because of that, I will protect them from what is out there in the world. So yes, I'll allow them to use technology because technology isn't bad per se, but it's the content that is across it. So I control that and, and I have no shame in that. So the, the fact of the matter is, regardless of their perspective, it doesn't change the truth behind what's happening. Because perspective cannot change truth. Truth is truth. And we have different perspectives and things, and, and we can perspective can change your opinions, but it cannot change the truth. Why don't you look at this slide? Paul, put this slide on for me. What do you see there? God is nowhere. What about God is now here? You see, spiritual. <laughs> But what you see, from your perspective, won't change the truth that God is now here, will it? Whether you see God is nowhere, doesn't change the truth that God is indeed everywhere because he is omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere he's God. So again, perspective doesn't change truth. So no matter how my kids feel about you can flick it on, Paul, thank you. No matter how my kids feel about what's happening, no matter what their opinion is about what I do with the technology in our house, it cannot change the truth that I do that because I love them and I want to protect them. And when we get to Ezra chapter number 5, we will see that the eye of God is upon his people. And just like his eye was upon those people all those years ago, God's eye is upon us now. And our perspective on that doesn't change the fact of that. Whether we think God doesn't see us or not doesn't change the truth of God sees all. All. Perspective doesn't change the truth. God was watching his people then as he watches his people now, regardless of our perspective on that truth. So I wonder this morning, do you need a reminder of that? I know that I need a daily dose of that, really, to remember that God is watching. I mean, last week we looked at the fact of who we are in Christ and, and the positional truth, the blessings we have, to know that our sin has been forgiven. And although we still have sin in our lives, we still do wrong, God is not going to punish us or judge us for that. At the end of days, we will have a home with him in eternity forever. That's the truth. Whether our perspective changes, whether we feel like we're saved or not, doesn't matter because God has said it. That's, that's the truth of it. And we have to remember who we are in Christ. That doesn't get us away, that we can live how we want and just behave like the world. No, God, um, as part of his family, there are certain standards that come with that privilege. And God wants us to, to live in the best way, to show forth his life. And we've got to remember who we are. But part of that is remembering that God is watching. God is watching. So maybe your perspective of that truth, that God is watching you, needs a little reset. Maybe it needs to change from God is nowhere to God is now here. And that might change the way you think about that. Maybe you need a reset to fall in line with the biblical truth. God is watching, beloved. He's watching. So as we turn our eye 
excuse the pun, to Ezra uh, <laughs> chapter number 5. Like I've said, we, we'll see that uh, God was watching. But firstly, I want you to see that, yes, we're going to see that the eye of God was upon the people, but also the eye of the governor was upon the people. So let's read Ezra chapter 5 and, and verse number 3 and 4 again. And we'll see that the eye of the governor was on the people. Verse 3. Ezra 5. At the same time came to them Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, to Shethnar Bonsai and their companions, and thus said unto them, Who has commanded you to build this house and make up this wall? Then he said unto them after this manner, What are the names of the men that make this building? So the eye of the governor was upon the people. And here's the first thing I want to say about that this morning, is that it was a malicious eye. It was an eye that was intent to stir up trouble. You know, um, the question comes there, doesn't it? In verse 3, who hath commanded you? Whose authority do you have to do what you're doing in building this temple and, and being about this work? Now, that might seem like a simple enough question until you put it into the context of what we've had here in Ezra. And week after week, I've been saying to you, and I hope that it's getting through, that when the work of God begins, the opposition of the enemy steps up. So don't be discouraged when you try and do something for the Lord and you face opposition. Actually, sometimes, and most of the time, you should be encouraged by that. Now, sometimes you step up and try and do things for the Lord and you face opposition because that was never the Lord's will. And it was yours, and, and you discern that as you go. But oftentimes, when you're biblically right, when you're in line with God's will, and you step up to do something that is according to his purposes, you'll face opposition. And it'll come from everywhere. And that's what's going on. You know, these people are adversaries. They are enemies. So this simple question, you know, uh, why are you doing this? Or, you know, who sent you to do this? Is loaded with intent to stop this work. It's malicious. And this is what's happening. You know, we read that in verse 2 last week. That, um, you know, they had to rise up to build the house of God. As soon as they do that. So verse 2 says, uh, they began to build the house of God. Remember, the prophets were sent to remind them who they were. To get back to the work. And then in verse 3, says, at the same time came to them that night. It's not a coincidence. They haven't been doing the work. They start to do the work. And then at the same time, along comes this governor, Tatnai, to get involved. This is not a coincidence. This is not an innocent question. It's loaded. And, and further to that, this governor was out of his jurisdiction. He was the governor of the Trans-Euphrates area. But Judea was a province in its own right at that time. Look at verse 8, a bit further down. It says, Be it known unto the king that we were sent into the province of Judea. So Tatnai is acting outside of his authority. He has come across from the Euphrates area down into Judea to then question those that are doing the work of God and say, by whose authority are you doing this work? But actually, he had no authority in the area that he was in. That tells you he was there to disrupt. He was there not because it was his duty to check in to make sure that things were being done right, that's like, you know, you have to get planning permission for, uh, you know, a building or an extension or whatever, you know. And you go to Stoke-on-Trent Council for that. And if you did that and, and, you know, you got to go ahead and then somebody from down south, we'll pick on the southerners, somebody from Bristol Council comes up and says, whose authority are you building that on? It's not their jurisdiction. They're out of their jurisdiction. And that's what's happening here with 
that now. He is acting outside of his authority. So the eye of the governor, I want you to understand, it was a malicious one. He was attempting to stop the work of God. He was a worker of the enemy that had been sent in to divide and disrupt what was God was doing and rebuilding and stirring his people up to get about that work. So the eye of the governor, it was a malicious eye. It was also a manipulating one. Look at verse 4. Says, then said we unto them after this manner, what are the names of the men that make this building? Now, the KJV isn't particularly helpful in its translation here because the King James Bible is a translation. And uh, the New King James isn't particularly helpful either in just building this out. But the, the modern English version, which is indeed taken from the same textual line, I stand upon textual line. Uh, that's my position, and that's this church's position. Best formed in the, in the KJV, I believe that. But there are times when it could have been translated a little bit better. And, but the MEV says this. They said, they also asked them, what are the names of the men building this building? So and, you know, in the context, it's the governor and the agitators that come and ask the question, um, what are the names of the men that are building this building? This is cleared up for us in verse 10 of, of Ezra 5, when it says, We asked their names also to certify thee that we might write the names of the men that were chief of them. This is the letters that are coming back and forth from the king from these people uh, to the king Darius from these people. So, you know, in the context, that's what the, uh, Ezra 5, 4 is. It's the agitator, it's the disruptor, it's Tatna, it's Tatna, the governor and his henchmen that are asking the questions to those that are doing the work, to the, the, those that are leading the work there. Who are the names? What are the names of those people that are doing the work? That's not because they want to write them birthday cards. It's because they want to take them down. I want to report them to the authorities maybe and, 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 and stop the work. And, and basically they're telling those that are leading to betray their own people. And that's happened in church history. And the enemies used that well. You know, um, again, you know, I have a lot, of, a lot of experience around Eastern Europe and being out to Eastern Europe and, and, and speaking to those that have lived under communism. And, uh, you know, especially in Romania, that had to, um, got to the point where um, the state had all, if you wanted to practice, you know, as a pastor, you had to sign up to the state mandate and the state would pay pastors. And then they had to report on all their people. And what was happening was there was churches that were doing this and then their congregation were having secret meetings that they were keeping from their pastor because the pastor would then report it to the authorities. It happens. It's a tactic of the enemy. And this is what the enemy wanted to do. He wanted division to be caused and, and separation among the people. He wanted the leaders to betray those that were building and doing the work of God. So this eye, it was a, a malicious one. He wanted to stop the work, the eye of the governor, but it was a manipulating one. He wanted to uh, destroy them from the inside out. And the enemy will do that. The enemy is malicious. And he is manipulating. And if he can get the brethren to turn against each other, he will get the brethren to turn against each other. Now understand, and let me make myself clear on this, that I believe in the doctrine of separation doctrinally. So I'm not talking about that. That's biblical separation. And there's absolute uh, authority on that from the word of the Lord. But I'm talking about 
the enemy just using these secondary issues, these issues that are really not that important in the scheme of things, to divide us. And this may happen within the, the church. It can happen over music. I don't like new hymns. I don't like old hymns. And the enemy tries to get in. Now, I hope at this church that we continue to have a, a blended approach, that, that everybody can, can enjoy the worship, you know, sing the old and sing the new and sing them to the glory of God. But the enemy would like nothing better to just come in and make that a division because he's a manipulator and he's malicious. And what he was doing then, he does today. He was after the people. He was after the work. He wanted it to stop. That was the eye of the governor, which really points us to the eye of the enemy. And the eye of the governor was indeed upon the people. But, and there is a but, and it's a good but, and I'm thankful for this but, the eye of God was also upon the people. Look at verse 5 of Ezra 5. But, praise be to God for this. The eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause him to cease till the matter came to Darius when they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. Now we're going to look at those letters uh, next week, Lord willing. But for now, we want to see that the eye of God was upon the people. And the first thing I see there is that the eye of God was a managing eye. God was watching over his people. And, you know, when we think about God's eye, we have to understand this is not a literal eye. It's not a literal eye. John 4, verse 24, tells us clearly God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So when we deal with these kind of terms like this, we've seen even in our psalm this morning, and in Ezra 5 here, the eye of God was upon the people. It's what's known as an anthropomorphism. Blah. Blah. Theology terms. Theology terms. Simply, anthropos is Greek man, morphe is form. So... What it really deals with is, is, is this, this idea of referring to God with human characteristics to get some point of God's character or God's nature across. So we, we see this uh, throughout Scripture. Let's turn. Let's do a bit of Scripture turning. Save me doing all the work this morning. Numbers chapter 6. Just do this to make sure you remember the books in the Bible. Numbers chapter 6. More to the point, can I remember where the book's in the Bible? (laughs) Number 6. And verse 25 there. It says, The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. So again, the Lord make his face. But this is an anthropomorphism. It's, it's, it's this idea of referring to God by human characteristics so that we can understand some aspect of, of God's character. So God is referred to uh, as making his face shine upon. Uh, Isaiah 23, turn there. We've got hands. Hands of the Lord. Isaiah 23, verse 11. He stretched out his hand over the sea. He shook the kingdoms. The Lord has given his commandment against the merchant city to destroy the strongholds thereof. And we looked in in the prayer meeting on on Wednesday about the ear of the Lord in Isaiah 59. Um, 
Psalm 89, verse 10. We've got the arms of the Lord. Nehemiah 1, 6. You don't have to turn there. We've got the ears and eyes of the Lord. So many of these references are used to help the reader understand a concept about God. Uh, something that he is, is trying to convey. So what was the eye of God in Ezra 5, 5 trying to convey? And really it's tied in with God's sovereignty. His sovereignty and his divine attributes. That God was sovereign over all. That he was waiting for his people to respond to his will. To do as he had commanded them to do. And he would be with them. His eye would be upon them. And that eye is a sovereign eye. It's an all-powerful eye. It's the eye of God upon his people. And when we walk in God's will, we can be sure of his protection. It's a fact. When we walk in God's will, we can be sure of his protection. What do you mean that I'm not going to get hurt? No, 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 no. That's not not the same thing. Sometimes you have to put your body on the line for the Lord. But God is with you. And he will protect you. Well, if I'm getting hurt physically, what's he protecting me from? He's protecting you from the spiritual punishment of an eternal hell. God's with you. And if you're walking in his will, you are exactly where he wants you to be. And sometimes that will be facing persecution. But that's where God wants you to be. And he will be with you. And he will protect you. He will enable you to do what he has called you to do. That's the protection of God. It's not that I can live in a little bubble and nothing bad will happen. Is that if you're walking in the will of God and the spirit of God... He will enable you to do what he has called you to do and protect you through that process so you can do what he wants you to do as your sovereign mission for him. Those missionaries that have gone in the will of God, paid with their life as soon as they stepped foot in the shore, God protected them to the point where they did what they needed to do. They were eternal till their life's work was done. Because they were on a mission for the Lord. That's the protection. That's the the, the encouragement that you can take this morning. That God's eye is a managing eye. And his eye is upon his people. Not only was God's eye a managing eye. it, It really should have been a motivating eye. It should have motivated them to know that God's eye was upon them. I mean, hadn't God always been faithful to his promises to Israel? Absolutely. God was never found unfaithful. Israel was found unfaithful. Now, this beautifully ties in because we had a wedding here yesterday. We had a wedding and there was wedding vows. And I'm going to take you back to, as I will oftentimes, um, when we're dealing with Israel, Exodus chapter number 19. And I've said this before and I'll say it again, that the law was given to Israel. It was a covenant given to Israel. And it was a marriage covenant, really, where the people were wedded to God. And, and, you know, notice what's said. Look at verse 5 of Exodus 19. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that they shall speak unto the children of Israel. So these are God's words. This, this is his side. Of the marriage vows, as it were. Verse 7 Moses came and called for the elders of the people, laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. 
was said yesterday. Will you? I will. I do. It's found. It's promises. And God made this promise to them. And it was conditional. And it was conditional upon them doing what they said they would do. And, and you know, the truth is, they didn't. They didn't do it at all. And God had said what would happen when they didn't do it. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter number 7. Jeremiah chapter number 7. God, you know, earlier in Leviticus, unpacking the law, you know, said that there, there will be repercussions. If you don't do what you said you do, if you don't stand up to your promises, if your yes isn't yes, then punishment will come. Isaiah, or sorry, Jeremiah chapter number 7, verse 23. But this thing I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and you shall walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. Now, this is from the law. It's from Exodus and Leviticus. That it would be well unto those people if they did what God had commanded them to do. And the people of Ezra had that word. They had those promises. They knew that truth. They knew that the eye of their God was upon them. That they were indeed a privileged people. And that every time they were faithful to God's word. Every time they did as according to what God had for them as a people and a purpose. They were blessed by God. He was with them. The eye of God was upon them. And that should have motivated them. As they knew that if they did what God wanted them to do, they'd be blessed. And if they didn't do what God wanted them to do, they would face the consequences of their own actions. So the eye of God, and knowing that the eye of God was upon them, and managing them, should have motivated them. It should have motivated them to know that he was there, and he was watching, that he was faithful, that he was true, that he had always lived up to what he said he would. And that should have motivated those people to go on in God's work. So as we look at Ezra 5 we can see clearly that the eye of the governor or the eye of the enemy was indeed upon the people. It was a malicious eye. It was designed to disrupt, divine, to stop the work because the work of God is at odds with the work of the enemy. They're never compatible. Never. This malicious eye was to stop the work and to cause trouble. It was also a manipulating eye, trying to turn the brethren against each other. Give us the names of those workers. Give them up. So the eye of the enemy was on the people, but we've seen in verse 5 that the eye of God was upon his people. And that eye was a managing eye. He was moving these things. Remember, they're back in the land because he'd stirred the heart of the heathen ruler. The people will be stirred up. God in the previous verses has sent his prophets to remind the people who they were. And the leaders stood up in remembrance of who they were as a privileged people. That they had Jehovah, the one true God, with them. And they got about the work. So God's eye was a managing eye. And it should have been a motivating eye. That yes, God is watching. That God is indeed with them. And that should have motivated them. And that should motivate us this morning. It should motivate us. That the eye of God is upon us. 
And that I as a man in Janai, that he will work things out according to his purposes. That if you surrender to your life, uh, to him, he has a purpose for you and he will enable you and be with you every step of the way to fulfill that. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Ephesians 2.8, read verses 9 and 10 after. He has ordained you unto good works that you may walk in them. God's with you. His eye is upon you. And the eye of God is indeed greater than the eye of the enemy. Turn to 1 John, chapter number 4, verse 4. 1 John 4, 4. We need to be reminded of this this morning, I think. That God is watching. And for those of us that are born again, know the Lord as our Savior. Notice I said, those of us that are born again. Not those of us that are in church. Not those of us that think we're good people, but those of us that are born again. We can read these verses and, and know the truth of these verses. John, 1 John 4.4 4, Ye of God, little children, and I've overcome them, because greater is he that is in you that is in the world. The eye of God is greater than the eye of the enemy. And those that are born again hold on to this truth, that greater is he that is in us that is in the world. And I think we forget that sometimes. We forget that. We may think it in here. But then we go out there. And we forget it. We look at the world. We look at all the evil and the wickedness. We look at the troubles and the trials. The difficulties. The heartbreak. The heartache. And everything's out there. And we just think oh my goodness. But remember the eye of God. Is greater than the eye of the enemy. And here's a truth that, that I want you to understand. And if you've got space in, in your Bible, maybe at the front of your Bible, somewhere, write this down. Write this down. And remember this. And it's simply this. Safety comes in our nearness to God, not in our distance from our enemies. Safety comes in our distance to God, not in our distance from our enemies. Human thinking is, the further we are from our enemies, the safer we are. Born again, children of God thinking should be, the closer I am to God, it doesn't matter how close my enemies are. I'll take you back to, for those that were in the prayer meeting would have seen this, a group of Ukrainians worshipping, praising, where the bombs are going off. Human thinking, run, run far away from that. Spiritual thinking is, Closer to God, safer. You say, well, what's safer from the world? What happened if that bomb came and it destroyed that building and their lives were took? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Safety comes in our nearness to God, not in our distance from our enemies. Brethren, I want you to remember, God is watching. His eye is upon us. Now, there's a positive to that and there's a negative to that. The positive is all we spoke about. God is watching. He's with us. He's with us. And for some of us this morning, we hear that and we rejoice. For some of us this morning, we hear that God is watching and we don't like it. Because it really depends on what God sees as to whether he's pleased by it or he's grieved by it. Just like me as a father 
who's able to watch my children on the internet, when I look, and this is what happens, and praise be to God, it's at this stage at the minute, when I check, and they don't know half the checks that I can do, when I check, there's, I never find anything untoward. You know what? That's pleasing to me as a father. It's pleasing. And, you know, I, I, I love them and my love grows for them. Now, God's love is eternal, but my human love, I'm just like, I'm proud of them. They'll always be my children, but when I look at it and I see that they're behaving in the right way and they're discerning from themselves and they're, they're not doing things that they shouldn't do, I'm pleased. It's no different with our Heavenly Father who watches your life, who sees your life, who cannot not see your life. You understand that? God just doesn't put on a CCTV channel and tune into your life. He cannot not see your life because he's God. He's God. And if I was to tune in and look at what my children were seeing and I, I seen all types of you know, pornography and, and all sorts of wicked stuff, my heart would be grieved. My heart would be grieved. But what does God say when he looks at your life, at your heart, is he grieved? Or is he pleased? Who wouldn't want to be pleasing to a heavenly father that has saved us from sin, that has died for us upon Calvary's cross and has given us new life? Who has promised to protect us, to be with us, to enable us and equip us to do all things that he's called us to? Who wouldn't want to be pleasing unto that God? So here's my challenge. Last week, remember who you are. This week, remember who's watching. Let's be pleasing unto God that he might get all the glory for he alone deserves it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth that you are indeed watching. You are a sovereign God that knows all things, sees all things. Lord, you not only know what we do, you know why we do what we do. And Lord, that's the level you deal at. Why do we do the things that we do? If we do them just out of obligation, then they're dead. Worthless works of the flesh. Lord, if we do the things that we do because we love you, because we're devoted unto you, because we want to be pleasing unto you, because we want to live our lives in the best way, because God's way is the best way, Lord, that's borne out. Human ways have led us to the place we're in where our world is just wicked and evil. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us just to be reminded that you're watching. You'll see us on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and on and on it goes. You never don't see us. And Lord, that can bring tremendous comfort or it can bring tremendous conviction. That choice is really ours because you're a God that gives us free will. You don't enforce your will upon us, though, Lord, you have every right to. You could, but you don't. You allow your children to choose. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to each one of our hearts that we would choose right, that we would choose life. We would choose you because you are indeed watching. In Jesus' name, amen.